MSW Media. Thanks to Feels for supporting Cleanup on Aisle 45. Feels CBD is the natural, healthy, better way to feel better, and it ships directly to your doorstep in only a few days. Go to feels.com slash cleanup, and you'll get 40% off your first three months with free shipping. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 54 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. So we have a little bit of a, uh, a back and forth on the on the number of episodes. Palindromic. <laughs> Palindromic episode. Uh, I am your host, Allison Gill, and with me as always is um, uh, the other host, Andrew Torres. <laughs> Hi, Allison. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to see you come up from the basement um, uh. for a minute, come up for some air. And uh, we have a pretty big episode today because you and I, um, I think it was a couple weeks ago, had gone over pretty in, in pretty like weed level detail what that conservation easement thing was <laughs> and it looks like all of our wildest dreams have come true so uh we're going to break down the new york attorney general's two filings uh for motion to compel testimony from donald jr and ivanka because we already know that eric trump testified in 2020 but first we have new patrons to thank we do indeed. So uh, these are folks who have signed up for as little as a buck an episode over at patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod. And a big thank you to Free Will. The Rush Tribute is playing Copper Blues Desert Ridge in Phoenix on Thursday the 20th. I think we missed that, but uh, I would definitely go see a Rush Tribute band. Thanks to NS Meds, The Quantum Cue Ball, Chip Garrett, MJ Hinman, Justin Bowman, Caps, Jessica Adams, and Nikki Somerset. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. Yeah, awesome. Uh, wonderful. If you do want to sign up to become a patron. And by the way, Copper Blues is rad. I've been there several times. Oh, yeah? Uh-huh. It's a fun venue. Um, but if you do want to sign up, you can go to patreon.com slash aisle45pod, A-I-S-L-E-4-5-P-O-D. Buck an episode. It's awesome. Thank you for your support. Without you, we wouldn't be able to pay all of our bills. So we really appreciate your support. Now, on to this monster <laughs> filing of which I spent. I, I It came out, right? here. We're on the West Coast now. came out at like 930 at night, right? It got dropped into the docket. And I'm like, ooh. And I start reading. I'm like, this is... Like, I was going to go through, Andrew, and just take a couple of snapshots of the main points. 
and put them in like a three or four tweet thread on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like, here's the main, here's the main takeaways. Every single line in this filing <laughs> is a crime. It's like, <laughs> like there's so much. And what's amazing is she opens this up by saying, uh, hey, everybody. Okay. So uh, Donnie and Ivanka and Trump have said that they shouldn't testify. Uh, you know, they sh- their testimony shouldn't be compelled because I'm on a political witch hunt. And, and so in order to answer them, if not for them, I would not be making this filing updating you where I am at the probe in the, you know, in the investigation at this time. And she also says pretty quite, you know, pretty clearly, she says, this, this is just seven things of many that I'm going to tell you about. <laughs> and, and I'm, and she says, and I pick these seven things because it will give you an idea of, of the depth of some of the, you know, where we're at with this investigation. But also it, with the seven things I'm about to tell you will not jeopardize the investigation, any of the ongoing investigations, which says to me, this is stuff Manhattan district attorney's already done and taken care of and put in the, you know, put in the can. Right. Uh, because otherwise you would be jeopardizing potentially, it, it would be inter- interfering with an ongoing criminal investigation. Yeah, that yeah, that that reading is absolutely correctly. So let let me set kind of the legal stage for this. Um, remember, uh, for our listeners, yeah, Allison, you know this. Uh, this is the civil fraud investigation uh, by New York Attorney General Tish James, um, pursuant to which um, you know the this kind of investigation was what led to uh, the. Uh, dissolution of uh, the uh, Trump charitable, you know, (laughs) sham charity. Right. So uh, you can hit Donald Trump in his pocketbook uh, in connection with the Trump org. And it looks pretty clear like that's going to (laughs) happen. This this probe in and of itself uh, cannot give rise to criminal liability. But as we've pointed out, as Trump himself pointed out in uh, his motion to uh, quash uh, the subpoena to deuces take them to produce documents. Uh, this probe is cooperating, working hand in glove uh, with the criminal investigation. And so uh, I think reading between the lines to see uh, the areas where there is no potential harm to that criminal investigation is exactly the right way to cover it. There, there are also two filings. So you started with the cross motion to compel and opposition to motion to quash. Right. And that is procedurally what happened is uh, the New York attorney general's office served subpoenas on uh, Trump, Jr., Trump and Ivanka and said, hey, you need to turn over all of these records. The three of them collectively filed a go pound sand motion. Uh, that is a motion to quash. And then this is the response back to that of, I think maybe we will decline to do that. And in fact, we'll act, we'll ask the court to compel your testimony since you're not willing to give it voluntarily. We're going to get into in the second half of the show, the supplemental verified petition, which is essentially the amended complaint here that expresses those allegations publicly and sets forth as assertions of facts that are verified, right? That, that say, you know, to the best of our knowledge, right? This is, we are attesting that this is true uh, because that gives us pretty good insight into uh, what the New York attorney general's office thinks. So where, where do you want to start on, on all of this? <laughs> well, what I thought was interesting and where, you know, I just wanted to kind of give 
as a general sort of overview of this, the importance of the Mazar's documents to, oh, to yeah. this case. <laughs> and, you know, we people have said, oh, why do you keep going back to court for these Mazar's documents? It took him a couple of years to get those documents. And it was so important. And you and I had talked about this, that there's probably some, this isn't about getting the tax returns, getting the Mazar's documents. What they're looking for is other documentary evidence, either showing intent to devalue or overvalue stuff, or to talk to accountants at Mazar's who can testify that that was his intent, uh, or, you know, to show some sort of uh, other sort of criminality. And this new filing, at least the 115-page one, kind of confirms that because she says on page eight, the statements described Mr. Trump's valuation process in broad terms and in ways which are often inaccurate or misleading to a reader when compared with the supporting data and documentation that the Trump organization submitted to Mazars. Flat out, that's, it's, a, it's a comparison, especially in, in a lot of these uh, instances, these seven instances with multiple properties, where they actually did have valuations done, like appraisals done and, and filed and just ignored. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly correct. And as you look through both of these documents, the it cannot be overstated how critical having that third party backup uh, it, it really is in terms of noticing when somebody has changed the rules midstream to benefit themselves. Right. So, look, Mazars, uh, you know, would would do. <laughs> I, I think there's a there's a there's a like meatloaf, you know, the crossover we could make it right. Mazars would do a lot for for their clients. Right. The Trumps, that's they've gotten a lot of money over them over the years. But, you know, that they won't, uh, you know, commit out and out fraud, uh, you know, to protect their uh, even their most important clients, because, um, you know, as as we said from the very beginning, when those subpoenas went out, like um, some some companies are bigger than Donald Trump, <laughs> and, uh -huh. you know, and this is a good example of that it, in in the motion to compel. Right. Um, for example, in a topic I know we're going <laughs> to dig into the seven springs, you have the exact same issue. Right. Which is we have compared the documents that you have made public versus the documents we've received, right? So this is page 17 of the motion to compel. The accounting firm that participated in preparing his, his Trump's tax returns has advised that the conservation easements at Seven Springs and Trump Golf LA generated a federal tax benefit for Mr. Trump personally of more than $5 million over the course of the tax years 2014 through 2018. The Office of the Attorney General obtained that concession only after Mr. Trump personally authorized his accounting firm to communicate this information to us. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, like th this is. We're breaking through, right, this the stone wall, a brick at a time. Mm -hmm. And um, and even when things, you know, one of, one of the things we've mentioned from, you know, gosh, since January 20th, 2017, right, is that. Trump's tax returns standing alone uh, were not going to be a roadmap to crime, uh, but but combined with other documents, right, help helps, you know, what what stands out as signposts are when you have massive points of divergence. And, yeah. Um, and and those to... <laughs> valuations after getting appraisals done that had to be lowered for your tax bill. Uh, one of the seven things here and I'll list them in a second is is that he overvalued his liquidity, not only by miscategorizing assets outside of, of his control as cash, 
but moving some assets into the cash column so they don't have to be individually listed. Uh, it's just a, a a group with a total, a group of things with a total amount. And that helped him hide some of the devaluation and, and you know, and also to say he had more liquidity cash ready than he did. And here's the other things here. First of all, his apartment. He lied about the size <laughs> of his apartment. He just, just... <laughs> Applied that all, you know, a, a, a little bit of advice, right? Everybody lies about the size of their apartment, but <laughs> multiplying it by three is, you know, at at, at some point, somebody's going to look around and be like, uh, 11,000 square feet is not 30,000 square feet. Yeah. Anyway. So it's not just his inauguration crowd or his height yeah. or his weight <laughs> or his vote count or his tiny hands or mushrooms or whatever, but there's a clear pattern of overstating value time and again. Uh, two, he he overstated his liquidity. That's, as I said, by miscategorizing assets outside of his control as cash. That's wrong. He lied about how he reached his valuations by saying he had like golfers and professionals and other professionals. And then as soon as they couldn't locate one single other professional, <laughs> he stopped putting that language in, the, in, in his, uh, you know, annual statement. Uh, four, he inflated certain certain assets by flat percentage rates that he called brand value and didn't tell anyone. Uh, so like for a couple years, it was 30%, uh, leading up to 2015, he was just like, and everything add 30% on the value because it says Trump on it. And then after 2015, or I think it was, it went down to 15%. Maybe his brand value dropped because he called Mexicans rapists. I don't know, but it, he cut it in half. But, I, I think that, I think that drove his brand up. Uh, his, well, it, it, regardless, you, you, you don't get to do that. And it's not part of GAAP, which are what generally accepted accounting practices. So those, oh, let's see, that was four, five. What are the other things here? I'm looking at the A to F, which you went a little bit out of order on pages eight to nine, but uh -huh. um, things like uh, failed to follow the uh, fundamental techniques of valuation, like discounting future revenues and expenses to their present value. <sighs> um, it, again, that's just you know, uh, an indication of somebody who is squeezing at the margins at every possible instance, right? So you you know, you know, that this is really a, a house of cards of fraud if you are booking future revenues as if they are present day revenues, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, for high school accounting will tell you you can't do that. Yeah, and he did it a few different ways too. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's kick it off with the first number, the number one thing that she wants to tell everyone about. It's Seven Springs and his apartment. <laughs> okay, Trump bought Seven Springs in '95 for 7.5 million. Five years later, a bank valued it at 25 million. In 2006, six years later, the same bank said it was worth 30 million, as is undeveloped, and that's important because of the easement thing. But when Trump told Mazars it was worth $200 million right. in 2007 and $291 million in 2014, what? So Donald said if he developed the land, that's what it would be worth. And that's important because of, as we talked about, the conservation easement, where you get a tax break for not developing a property based on what it would be worth if you did. And as you said, Andrew, that's where you, the doors open for fraud, massive fraud, meaning, and I think the... The example I used was, let's say you bought Devin Nunez's farm for $65 <laughs> and then declared if you developed it, it would be worth millions. And then you got a chunk back from the IRS for that easement. Overestimating the developed value 
seems to be like uh, like a tax fraud. Yeah. Uh, and specifically here, what Trump said was uh, you have 212 acres that is now zoned, quote, zoned for nine luxurious homes. Mm. Right? And then those luxurious homes, right, would sell for 30 million dollars a piece. Right. And uh, and then in connection with that, that's how much money they could have made on the Seven Springs property. Uh, but then um, this is paragraph 37. The uh, Trump Organization told Mazars, but we're because we're such philanthropists, um, this this portions of this property are land to be donated. So we could have taken the full value of this. $291 million property that has an objective outside valuation at $30 million uh, and uh, and and built it up and whatever. But instead, uh, we are donating it. So we're going to take uh, that uh, that little. Uh, and again, it, it, it that provision is not always fraudulent. right? <laughs> like you you can legitimately yeah. donate land to charity. But as uh, the AG's office points out, uh, this is the first time I have seen a uh, reference to McConney, Mr. McConney, the senior vice president and, con and controller of the uh, Trump organization, uh, testified that the $291 million valuation <laughs> includes the full amount that would be generated from the sale of the non-existent homes without taking into account the years it would take to construct infrastructure, build homes, obtain necessary approvals and sell the number of homes identified in the supporting data. Yeah. And then I think my favorite part here is that th that value was determined by Eric Trump and a phone call <laughs> yeah. and a feeling. And when asked about that, Eric invoked his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Uh, and we've talked about this, too. He, he First of all, he invoked his Fifth over 500 times. Now, yep. we've talked about how invoking the Fifth cannot be used against you in a criminal proceeding. But this is a civil proceeding. And it can be. And so, yep. you know, that's 500 times. <laughs> OK, but they know that because they're working with the Manhattan D.A., if they said something that would, you know, could be prosecuted as a crime, they'll send it over to the D.A.'s office. Yeah, that is exactly right. That is. Uh, and, and again, I, I mean, if I <laughs> a, a, I would never represent Eric Trump, but B. <laughs> alternative universe andrew that represents eric trump i think i would i would encourage him to have i assert my fifth amendment rights against self-incrimination on like you know a little micro cassette recorder and just play that you know uh whenever anyone asks him a question mm -hmm. uh because uh he's a he's a he's a walking ball of crime so you don't want to accidentally confess to it um he is and and interestingly though and i don't want to i hate to interrupt no, no, here no, no, but no, no. somebody else who's testified who i hadn't heard of is a guy named david mccardle and he's the fella who actually appraised seven springs for its developed value he said you know what 50 million max if you develop and sell all these houses and, well, and he actually testified and, and I, I love I'm no, I'm glad you uh, you you went to that. Uh, the the McArdle testimony, uh, I think, is is really, really useful in juxtaposing against the assumptions that we just mentioned. Right. So Eric Trump comes up with a two hundred and ninety one million dollar justification uh, based on the idea of selling nine homes at 30 plus million bucks a piece. One of the things that should immediately stand out to you uh, as you know, we just talked about from the McConaughey is. 
Where exactly? Like, who's buying $30 million homes? The same people <laughs> right? buying $260 million apartments. <laughs> Good. Um, it, 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 it strains. And, and one of the things that you have to actually do is in assessing the market value is, you know, you have to provide some kind of mechanism for, you know, where you're going to get nine separate MC hammers to come out and buy your $30 million homes. So McArdle says, um, nine MC hammers. <laughs> it's, it's, it's parachute pants all the way down, baby. Um, so, uh, he looked at, um, comparable right this is this is the you know this is what zillow is doing right like this is what happens when you buy a house mccardle on a on a professional level uh looked at three different towns bedford newcastle north castle right um and said yeah if you built luxury homes in the seven springs area you're gonna have an average per lot sales value of two million dollars right 2.25 million dollars max um, and then, uh, so let's put them all together. You get under $30 million yep. for the total value of this property that you have booked at $291 million. Yeah. Um, and, and since Trump said it was worth 291 the previous two years, and here comes back the developed, the developed amount from 36 million to 50 million that's developed if you build the houses which takes a lot of years but whatever uh he couldn't really report that actual value because the obvious drop will just show that he's been lying for the previous two years <laughs> so he right. moved the entire seven springs to other assets making it look like his cash or his liquidity had gone up by over 200 million it's not listed <laughs> individually and you're probably not supposed to do that yeah and uh, so let's explain. First, I'm going to read paragraph 49, which uh, I think puts this more pithily and maybe even more sarcastically than I would, which is after receiving the March 2016 appraisal, Mr. Trump's subsequent statement of financial condition was changed in a manner that disguised what would otherwise have appeared as a more than 80 percent drop in the value of Seven Springs, which had been reported to be worth 291 million for the three preceding years. Yeah. When you drop a zero off the valuation of your property like that tends to be a red flag to the IRS. Right. A little bit. So let's put all this together. The reason why this is significant is that part of the inquiry that's being made here for purposes of civil fraud um, contains that C-enter requirement, right? Like it isn't fraud to make a mistake. It isn't fraud to be an idiot. It's fraud when, you know, so for example, right on, on your taxes, you're adding together your income from two different sources. You add together 60,000 and 40,000. For some reason, you write 90,000 down there. Now that's an error in your favor. Uh, it reduces your total taxes. The IRS is not going to prosecute you for fraud for adding six plus four and getting nine, even though, you know, that might strain credulity a little bit. You're like, yeah, I was filling out my taxes and I was, you know, really tired. And it just that the, the numbers ran together. Right. And and people who lie and cheat and and misreport their income on their taxes, you know, get get away with, uh, you know, a very minor, you know, civil correction all the time. 
to build a case like this against Donald Trump and and Trump Jr. and Ivanka, you, you have to show that you filed statements you knew to be false. So as we're going through this, th- this again highlights the importance of having multiple objective third party documents is makes it real. Right. We can believe you, you know, one late one night you thought six plus four equals nine. We cannot believe that you received a detailed multi-site analysis of your property that put its valuation between 30 and 50 million dollars and then you were like oh you know what i just realized this property is cash yeah oops (laughs) my bad and i don't have to individually list its value it's just a it's a total in the other at you know column and And, and you did it with a, a club uh club properties and other real estate you know, just sort of a vague category of other stuff that he didn't have to list individually <laughs> with their amounts. And that also bumped up his liquidity, which is 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 also if you're trying to go to a bank and, and say, hey, I, I need a big loan. And hey, I have access to fast cash if, you know, if this goes south. So it's also defrauding the banks by by telling them, hey, I've got I got 400, 500, 600, 700 million dollars that I can turn around really fast to cover, you know, th- these loans. And if it, you don't have it, they're basing their loan on something that doesn't exist. Yeah, no, and, and and let's unpack what you've just said so that people understand. This is what Donald Trump did. He took a piece of property worth $30 million and declared it to be $291 million in cash, right? So you take an illiquid asset, right? Because if, if you needed a forced sale of a $30 million piece of property, you don't get 30 million bucks for that, right? Again, you know, our, uh, you know, your, your MC hammers don't come around that often, right? If you've, it is illiquid, it it's literally land, right? Like that is, that is uh, the opposite of liquidity. Um, and you're, to, you're doing the developed amount and it's not developed, Right. And so and and so to say, like the the net liquidity from that property is maybe five million bucks. Right. That's what you could get at a distress. You know, you want to say 10. I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not an accountant. I can't I can't uh, I can tell you that it's off by orders of magnitude, not just one zero. But now we're talking about, you know, taking a five to ten million dollar asset. Uh, 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 five to ten million dollars uh, would be, I think, what you could easily borrow against that property to then, you know, fund other obligations and saying that that's the same as having two hundred and ninety one million dollars in the bank. Um, the, I mean, the, de- the degree of deception there is staggering. And and, and it points out something that I, I want to emphasize here, uh, and that is um, these next steps. Right. Uh, that will be undertaken uh, by the AG's office, particularly in connection with Seven Springs. I would not be surprised, even though Trump, Trump Jr., Ivanka got all the headlines, if this is meant to finally put the squeeze on and get the cooperation from Alan Weisselberg. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. We have talked about that story at great length, um, but but just reading between the lines here. Donald Trump did not come up with the scheme of I'm going to declare that Seven Springs is cash, right? He didn't invent that himself. No, and he, it and it he even got says, advice from somebody. Yeah, and yeah. it even says McConney with the with, so they he he puts Seven Springs in the cash column, uh, and then he also puts his apartment 
in there. And he upped <laughs> its square footage three times because, you know, property is valued per square foot like that to hide the drop in seven springs. So it would sort of balance out like I'm, I'm worth the same amount of cash, right? Except, of course, my apartment's not 30,000 square feet. And it says here, McConney and Weisselberg helped with that lie. And Weisselberg admitted it. Weisselberg admitted that this amounted to an overstatement of give or take $200 million. Give or take $200 million. <laughs> And McConney, I, ha- I can't help but wonder, since he has not been indicted, if he's been given some sort of immunity or is cooperating, but he is brought up in, in this particular lie about the apartment and using it in cash assets to make up for the huge drop in value, uh, which, which they still overreported anyway, in the cash column. So, and, and also a third unnamed Trump Organization employee testified that he prepared <laughs> the spreadsheets and admitted there was a large discrepancy. And that brings us to the idea that there were actually several sets of books that the company would operate off of on a day-to-day basis of actual value of these things and cash, operational cash. It, it. <laughs> and so we have another we have another couple second sets of books. I, it, it so much to unpack there. And you you didn't read uh, my my favorite. Everything you read was gold. You didn't read my favorite sentence out of that testimony. Right. Which is said uh unnamed Trump org employee, the one keeping the two sets of books a la the doofus from casino, right? Like <laughs> the the guy who submits his expense receipts, right? And, yeah, the and guy all with all the, the books. Yeah. Um that guy says, quote, he stated that he had probably discussed the sc- the discrepancy with either Jeff McConney or Alan Weisselberg. Um so you know there we have again this is a public filing. This is a public filing that the New York Attorney General has said does not compromise or jeopardize ongoing criminal investigations. And to say, oh, yeah, do we, we, we have witnesses that um, will say that there are multiple sets of cookbooks and uh, probably and again, all you need in a civil suit is probably right. You need you, you do not need beyond a reasonable doubt uh, that um, that that Weisselberg was. Uh, uh, either Weisselberg or McConney were in on the idea that um, that you were using multiple sets of books. Uh, all of that to me, that the presence that that name showing back up again strongly suggests that that is going to be the next step. Right, the next step is not going to be. Um, uh, you know, uh, referral. You know, criminal indictment. Trump in handcuffs. We we all want that. Um, but uh, but. Uh, Weisselberg has been somebody that uh, that multiple folks have taken multiple swings at, right? Mm-hmm. Because he knows where all the bodies are buried. Uh, and if you can finally break him, uh, I think that that's going to be uh, that's going to be really, really key here. Um, yeah, because so- <laughs> as, as, as you're saying, these are clear things that that Weisselberg could be indicted for in a superseding fashion. Uh, and he hasn't yet, so it's yep. it's interesting. We're sitting on it. Now, uh, we <laughs> need to take a quick break. We're going to come right back. We're going to talk about all the golf courses because, you know, we've been like, man, they are operating at a loss. It just seems like he's just trying to pay fewer taxes by owning shit golf courses. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, guess what? <laughs> it's real. Uh, and the way that he hit it and maneuvered it to make it look like he, you know, was loan worthy is is also pretty special. So we'll talk about that when we get back from this quick break. Stay with us. 
Hey everybody, it's AG for Cleanup on L45, and I want to tell you about Feels CBD. You know, I work out every morning, I run, and you know, I'm also getting up there in years, and it's really important for me for my joints to feel better, and that's why I love CBD. It is safe, it's natural, and it's healthy, and it helps eliminate stress, anxiety, and pain from your daily life. CBD has been so helpful for me to relieve that soreness and also nervousness and sleeplessness, all without harmful side effects. It feels there's a better way to feel better, and we have an offer. Go to feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash cleanup, and you'll get 40% off your first three months with free shipping. And the great thing about Feels is it's premium CBD. It'll keep your head clear, and it'll help you feel your best. You can order it online and have it delivered right to your door. And you know CBD helps reduce anxiety, stress, pain, and insomnia naturally, with no hangover or addiction. Just place a few drops of feels under your tongue. Now, finding the ideal dose for you is important, and everyone's dose is different. So Feels has a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience. You can rely on Feels customer service team to get the most out of your CBD. And self-care is easy with a Feels membership. You'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel anytime. It's super easy. So start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash cleanup, and you'll get 40% off your first three months with free shipping. That's Feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash cleanup to become a member and get 40% off automatically for your first three months with free shipping. Okay, so Andrew, we can just start with Scotland. He bought for twelve point <laughs> six million Aberdeen, <laughs> and uh, twelve point six million in '06, and then said it was four hundred thirty-six million in twenty fourteen, uh, based on developing twenty five hundred homes when only about fourteen hundred would fit. <laughs> and uh, Weisselberg testified he couldn't explain that discrepancy. I can't explain that discrepancy, and that valuation for that golf course was provided to Forbes by George Soriel, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so 436 million, 12 million. And, and, and he hid that in another thing called, what was it? Club facilities and related real estate. Again, you, you don't have, the valuation was based on undeveloped land and you don't have to list these values individually when you plop it into that category. Yeah. And just digging into the level of detail. And again, the reason you release this kind of level of detail publicly is because you know you have unimpeachable documents, right? So this is paragraph 78. You were talking about the 2,500 homes. So it says the, the Trump-Aberdeen valuation, which um, more than doubled the previous valuation from a couple of years ago, computing uh, based on building 2,500 homes, assumes that 2,500 homes would have the same characteristics and same value per home. This ignores that. Uh, as the accounting statements notes, of the 1,486 homes that you could actually build uh, that were the recipient of some level of approval, 950 were to be holiday homes and 36 were to be golf villas. OAG has obtained evidence indicating that such properties, under the terms governing Trump Aberdeen, would be rental properties and no individual could rent one for more than six weeks at a time. We've seen that that dates all the way back to uh, 2017 with Trump going and, you know, sort of declaring that he's living at Mar-a-Lago. That's in violation of the mm. uh, uh, covenants at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, you know, doesn't apply to the boss, I guess. But uh, it, the way in which these golf houses work is it's, you know, it's <laughs> you're not meant to have permanent tenants, right? You're meant to have, uh, you know, these these big uh, kind of, you know, rental spaces that that folks can come in. And so to to say we're going to take the top dollar value, right, the the golf villa value for those 36 houses and then pretend that we are building 2,500 of them 
Um, It's just fraud. By the way, after you've already testified to the Scots that you didn't have any plans to develop it. Right. So (laughs) it doesn't even matter anyway. And he got an appraisal that valued it at 40 million, not 436 million. So uh, that brings us to (laughs) the brand, right? The third thing on the list of seven things, the Trump brand. Uh, Trump said his property valuations did not include any additional values based on his name being on the property. But New York Attorney General has receipts. Trump literally literally wrote in a letter, and he never does this, but he wrote in a letter to investors that the brand value was not included in his net worth statements. But the AG includes a copy of that letter in her filing, uh, you know, and, and his valuation for club facilities and related real estate did include a flat rate increase of 30 percent in 2013 and 2014 for brand value and 15%, like I said, from 2015 to 2020. So he now we have in writing him saying he didn't do something and we have him doing it. Yeah, it, it, this is as as slam dunk as slam dunky gets, <laughs> right? You have Donald's stupid signature with his little Sharpie that says, I am also enclosing a letter that establishes my brand value, which is not included in my net worth statement. Um, except that it was. And then it mentions that they used an expert witness, an outside golf professional who was the only professional listed on the Colts Neck, Washington, D.C., Hudson Valley, Philadelphia, Jupiter, Charlotte and Los Angeles Golf Club valuations from the statements from 2013 to 2018, who denied ever having provided a valuation of or brand premium number four any Trump golf courses during this time period. So yeah, they actually found in. the they Trump, found the you, dude. Know, you know, Trump's like, oh, I read it on the internet. I talked to Chi Chi Rodriguez or whatever. And uh, and now Chai Chai Rodriguez. <laughs> they bring him in, whoever this professional is. And he's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I never said I never <laughs> told anything, did anything like that. And, and they, you know, to go further, they couldn't find any outside professional, as I had said earlier in the show. And it was more than just Aberdeen, right? That professional, uh, like you said, was the only thing used to add value to seven other Trump golf clubs and, yeah. and including loans. And these, by the way, these valuations were shoved in this category where you didn't have to lift them individual, individually. And they were used to guarantee loans, including loans guaranteed by Trump himself. So let's unpack all of that. And A, I'm a little bit sad that you didn't get my WKRP reference. If you, if you don't get it, nobody is going to. And now I feel old and out of touch. And, um, but uh, l- l- let's explain what happened here. Trump employed a professional to value his golf courses, right, that he owns across the country. That professional gave him a number. Donald Trump then took that number and slapped either 15 or 30 percent on top of it. And the only justification was Trump golf courses are worth more than regular golf courses. Uh And and, and if you think I'm making it up, the statement was Trump branded clubs are more valuable than most golf courses, end quote. Right. So I'm taking the number that uh, might be objectively real and then. I'm just slapping a multiply by 1.3. And when they found the objective evaluator, that person said, yeah, I was never told that. And by the way, 
it would, quote, never be my practice to value a golf course based on fixed assets or add a premium to fixed assets to value a golf course. End of real quote. Mm. So um, kind of hard. <laughs> yeah. And Deutsche Bank and an insurer both stipulated that Trump couldn't add brand value yep. to his stuff. And it appears that's why I, he wrote that letter. He and didn't. I, <laughs> yeah. And I think it's Rosemary Vrablick, actually, but th- she's not named, but it's says Deutsche named, Bank. Yeah. She uh, and we know that she's talked to the D.A., uh, but it appears that she said that adding it, she told Trump that adding it would be a breach of covenant. And that's on page 27. Um, and again, Vrablick isn't named, but it seems pretty clear to me. But that shows that somebody advised Trump from Mazars. Remember how I said there's got to be a document out there where Mazar says, we can't do this shit, but this is Deutsche Bank now saying, even Deutsche Bank's like, bro, <laughs> come on. Even, uh, even Deutsche Bank <laughs> is is going in, is going on a t-shirt. Um, yeah, no, it, 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 it is, again, remember the goal, right? You want to demonstrate unimpeachably uh, that not just that false statements were filed, but that knowingly false statements were made over and over again. I, I want to talk about the Westchester. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to yeah. bring that up because now oh, we're going up gosh. into Mimi Roca's neck of the woods, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and he yeah. also grouped Westchester in with club facilities and related real estate. So no indiv- individual valuation was listed, just a total for all of them. And in, uh, I believe, 2011, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, he valued it at $69 million. And that's funny, because part of that number is based on future unsold club I... memberships, <laughs> <laughs> which were said to be $150,000 each. But in real life, most people paid zero for their memberships at Westchester. It, it, it... Okay. Maybe <laughs> I need to lead a different life. I don't play golf. I don't like golf. Um, I... I... <laughs> I, I don't understand the universe in which people pay six figures to belong to a golf club. Uh, I know that there are one or two that sort of justify that amount or whatever. Um, but 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 the idea of, hey, we can't sell these golf memberships at one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a pop. So we're valuing the ones that we didn't sell at one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a pop and saying that's what you were you would buy if you were to buy this golf course. Right. That's that's a part of the assets is, oh, yeah, it'd be super easy for you, you know, unknown hypothetical future buyer to sell all these memberships. Um, you might ask the question, well, then why didn't Trump sell all those memberships? And the answer is no one's buying them nope. at $150,000 a pop. It's, it's no. just 13, 12.775 million, right? Almost $13 million of a $68 million valuation. So, so you know, 20% of the, of the ostensible value of the property in 2011 uh, came from imaginary memberships that they could not possibly uh, have have sold. And then the valuation included $28 million for the cost to construct the clubhouse and then $2.8 million on future sales, right, in what what is called receivables from members. So the idea is, yeah, what also in that $68 million, we're definitely going to build a $28 million clubhouse and people are definitely going to buy like three million bucks worth of concessions, you know, stupid hats and drinks and things uh, from inside. <laughs> Omelets. 
Right. Yeah, and and, yep. and in a in a in a pattern, we have Eric Trump yet again, uh, <laughs> the source of those wonky valuations in a phone call, and once again, Trump had it appraised, and the actual value was way below the stated value. And of course, there's documents showing that, and so he's shoving it into this other category where he doesn't have to list the actual value. It's pretty. It's pretty immense. The amount of I, I don't I don't even know I can't even call it massaging. You're just you're yeah, not even no. massaging numbers here. Uh, <laughs> Park Avenue. Want to talk about Park Avenue? Oh, this, okay. Yeah, let's go on to Park I, Avenue. Here. I, I, I'm enjoying this one. So so let's unpack this a little bit. Um, prior to Donald Trump becoming president, um, owning Park Avenue, right? And 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 again, um, this is a prominent right internationally recognized uh prestigious address right mm -hmm. um it, it, remember the sort of lead up to uh the the 2016 election in which the question was is donald trump a billionaire right mm -hmm. um of donald trump's net worth trump park avenue uh was a significant factor of that disclosed net worth right um in the later years leading up to the, the election disclosed at three hundred and fifty million dollars. Right. So in other words, you're you're on the cusp. You're a billionaire. What you're saying is a third of Donald Trump's net worth at that time was due to this particular property. Mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. But you know what's cool? Uh huh. Ninety five percent of that was unsold units. I, <laughs> in most years. OK, I I I. I, I cannot overemphasize <laughs> the level of fraud here, right? So I'm just going to read from from the bottom of paragraph 114, which is evidence obtained by the attorney general establishes that unsold residential condominium units represented the lion's share of reported value parenthesis in excess of 95% in some years. Let that sink in. Okay, so he owns a whole bunch of condos. 95% are empty. Okay, so on the 2011 Statement of Financial Condition, the reported value was $311 million, with unsold units comprising $293 million of that value. In other words, less than $20 million in actual reportable income for that particular piece of property, right? In, 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 uh, I use the word income. I, I should not. Um, it, less than $20 million in justifiable valuation of the asset of that property. You take that away, right? That's a third of, of Donald Trump's reported assets, you know, as Mr. Successful Billionaire, um, just completely made. D taking something that everybody agrees it's a terrible thing to have, right? Like just, just imagine, right? Like if, if you were a real estate developer and I said, good news, 95% of my condominiums are unoccupied. Mm -hmm. You would, you would have me committed. You'd be <laughs> like, wait, wait, wait. So you're saying I have to pay the upkeep on all of these condos and I can't sell them. Yeah, that's correct. I can't lease them. No, that's correct. I, nobody wants them. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, that's a huge asset. <laughs> yeah, he also failed to account for rent-stabilized units. Uh, and, again, 
Trump, Trump actually kept a second set of books listing the actual value for this and multiple Trump condos. And Trump used the actual values for running day-to-day operations, but again, inflated them in his financial condition statement for the banks. And, and that's because they had a second set of books for compensation, too, right? That was, that was in the Manhattan DA's indictments for Weisselberg and Trump. And Trump says he got those values from outside professionals. But the AG said, we looked, we couldn't find one single one. And in fact, McConnie testified Trump dropped the outside professionals reference in his 2020 filing because he was caught, basically. And uh, Ivanka was offered a Park Avenue apartment, by the way, for $8.5 million after they valued it at $21 million on his financial condition statement. So we, we now we drag Ivanka into this mess. Yeah. So um, if we were to kind of wrap all of this together in one giant package and put a big red bow on it. What, what, what's, what's your takeaway from, the, from this latest filing, AG? Uh, he's a terrible businessman. He's not worth what he says he's worth. And he lied to banks and the IRS. I don't think I could have put it any better myself. <laughs> For different reasons. For yeah. Different reasons. Yeah. And insurers, too. Oh, I forgot insurers. I'm sorry. Yeah. I and, and, so... I guess that's a that's a good way to kind of put all of this into context. Right? It was just look, we could spend another two hours going through the details. We could spend 10 hours going through the yeah. details. It's delightful. Um, this is uh, publicly available at the uh, New York Attorney General's office. So if you you want to read along with us, go uh, go grab those documents. We've been looking at the supplemental verified petition. Um, here, here's the significance. When you overstate your assets, Donald Trump has done so for two reasons that have benefited him personally. This is the gravamen of the fraud. This is the 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 quo or the quid, right? This is this is what he's getting out of it. Um, when you say you have more assets than you do, then banks will lend you money they wouldn't otherwise lend you, <laughs> um, and uh, then you can use that to acquire more dubious assets that you've run into the ground and overstated. So when, when we say it looks like the Trump empire is a house of cards, um, that's what we mean by that. Yeah, it is. And, mean- <laughs> and even even like Capital One was like, something's weird. And, you know, they did their own valuation on some of these properties and said, we can't lend you. We can't give you this additional loan. You're t- that's not what this property is worth. And and actually, what happened was Weisselberg ended up going to his son's bank, Ladder Capital, to get the to get a valuation like a an inflated valuation. And and of course, AG has evidence that that was BS based on she says demonstrably incorrect facts. And then Trump turned around and said the property was worth even more on his financial condition statement that year after it had already been. So it's just, it goes on and on and on. And I think if you have to, if you're trying to establish a pattern, you got one. Yeah. I mean, it's so obvious here. I think, I think that's right. So, um, you know, it's, (laughs) we, we, we like, uh, we hope you've enjoyed this, you know, kind of special, deep dive breaking down these filings um are they are they worth being uh, overjoyed and excited about I, I i think they are is it is I it am. the end it's it's you know it, it no but you know <laughs> right right what's the uh, winston churchill quote like it might be the end of the beginning right uh, yeah. um uh and uh and and I, I think that's right and i think that um if if you move into a position where these folks i'm, I'm you know i'm thinking of the uh 
uh, the dialogue from uh, Trading Places, right? Like the best way to hurt rich people is by turning them into poor, poor people. people. <laughs> so let's, yeah, maybe we should man. bet one dollar on one whether or not. He- <laughs> Ooh, I, okay, all right. That's uh, that's our goal for uh, for for clean up all uh, clean up on all forty five episode fifty five. We'll we will come up with our one dollar bet. We'll do that one week from today. Sounds good. And of course, you know, on our way out here, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention your horse in this race, right? Which is Georgia Fulton County DA has been (laughs) granted her special grand jury. So uh, that's going to be um, that's moving a lot quicker than I than I had thought it would. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see who gets subpoenaed there. Uh, also wondering if the Department of Justice needs to or has already or tried to talk to Raffensperger. He seems very cooperative. He just wants to be subpoenaed for it. Uh, and so, you know, we'll we'll see what we'll see what goes on. But I, I think Raffensperger's testimony is going to be key. And uh, he, he seems to, you know, be forthcoming. He's told everybody. I mean, he's been very public about this, you know. Yep. And so. and and let's this the reason this is my horse is because Georgia law is exceptionally clear. What makes it a crime is when you ask somebody uh, when you try and get an elections official to enter any figure in connection with any election that you know to be fraudulent. Right. And and here's what that means. That means when Donald Trump says I won by 400,000 votes, but I don't need 400,000 votes. I just need you to find me 11,799. What he's saying is, I don't care if you put the right number down. I just want you to put down a number that makes me win. And, 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 and that deprives Trump of his best defense in this case. Yeah, right? even Which if is, he did win by 400,000 yeah, votes, he's, he's still he's, asking for a fraudulent number. Exactly right. And that is something you can explain to a jury. You can say to them, you will hear testimony, right, that says, you know, in a hypothetical event uh, that says, uh, you know, either from from uh, Donald Trump directly or from those around him that says he truly believes he won the election that those ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that testimony is a red herring. It is. Does not matter if Donald Trump believed in these insane conspiracy theories, which, by the way, are not true. We will prove are not true. It does not matter because at the end of the day, you have one job. The question is, did Donald Trump tell the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, to enter a figure he knew to be false, whether that was too high or too low? The law does not matter if he wanted somebody to enter a number that was incorrect and we know exactly why, right? Because he wanted to change the outcome. That's a crime, and you must convict. Yeah, and it's very important that we elect Stacey Abrams. <laughs> oh God, so, so much, so, so there's much. no pardons. <laughs> yep. All right, what a cool show! This was great breaking this down. I've got three threads on this on Twitter. If you want to look up the NYAG filing. Oh, that's uh, so good. I, I highly endorse those. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, w- uh, yeah, we're going to see what. I mean, we've got so much going on. Next week should be an interesting show. Uh, we live in interesting times, my friend. <laughs> yep. Yes, we do. House of Cards coming down. Thank you very much. I've been Allison Gill. I'm Andrew Torres. We'll see you next week on Clean Up on Aisle 45. 
Cleanup on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design.